John, thanks for your story. This is, uh, fits in perfectly with what we're going to talk about today. So I want to encourage you to open your Bible to 2 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13, and uh, we, will, we will get there. We're going to talk about obstacles to gratitude this morning. And to do that, I want to, <clears throat> I want to take you to an Olympic practice field, and I want you to describe what happens in the 100-meter hurdles. Uh, that race is an amazingly precise race that features very precise athleticism, and the goal is to clear 10 hurdles as fast as you possibly can. And these days, the event is down to a science because when the starting gun goes off, the hurdlers explode off the starting blocks, often with a, gun, with a, with a grunt and, their, and kind of a yell to get as much power into their start as possible. Their legs are churning very fast when they get to the first uh, hurdle, which is 13 meters from the starting blocks. That hurdle is 33 inches high, and runners will reach it in just eight steps. At just the right moment, they extend their right leg forward. It hopefully is perfectly parallel with the ground, and then they drive upward with their left leg, and uh, they try to clear the hurdle with just the minimal amount of space possible so that they're as efficient as they can possibly be. The rest of the hurdles are 8.5 meters apart, and the athlete, athletes attack them three steps and a jump, three steps and a jump, three steps and a jump, until hopefully the first person crossing the finish line will, will go back with his chest and explode and break that tape. The point of the 100-meter hurdles is to overcome the hurdles, right? Because 100-meter dash is completely different. There are no obstacles. 100-meter hurdles, there are 10 obstacles that you have to overcome. And in a lot of ways, life is like that 100-meter hurdles uh, in the sense that one of your top priorities is to live in gratitude. And yet we have obstacles, don't we, for living in that gratitude? We saw last week that gratitude was how we were wired before the fall, Gratitude is also how Adam was wired after the fall. God brought his wife to him, and he was grateful when, he, when she was first presented after the fall. Adam is, again, grateful for what he knows will happen with his wife. The rest of the Bible gives us exhortations to gratitude. In the law, we see that there was a thank offering. If you were grateful, you could present a bull or a, an animal to be offered on the altar as an expression of thanks. The psalmists are always expressing gratitude in Jesus himself. I love it. Here's the infinite son of God, the perfect man, the God-man, and he is regularly expressing gratitude. So to be a grateful person is consistent with how we're wired as human beings, and it's also consistent with following Jesus in a very intentional way. However, all of us know that on this race called life, there are obstacles toward encountering gratitude. And I'm going to look at those today, because I think if we, can, if we can look at what the obstacles are, and we're mindful of those obstacles, then we can, we can overcome those in a, a very systematic way. So what I want to do is I'm going to recount the story of the Apostle Paul in what I would say is, is his most chaotic season of life. You know, Paul had a lot of adventures. What we're going to talk about this morning may be his most chaotic season of life, 
And then I'll show you, following his examples, five common obstacles, and then we'll close with some, some takeaways. So we'll, we'll start with the, with the story. And in the spring of 56 AD, Paul faced some really catastrophic worst-case scenarios, which led to some extreme frustration. The events took place in the city of Ephesus, and I want, to, I want you to imagine uh, Paul's life in, in, in that day. The city of Ephesus was a big city, about a population of about 250,000 people, which made it arguably the second largest city in the ancient world. At its center was the famous temple of Diana, also known as the Temple of Artemis. It had 128 large pillars supporting a massive and ornately carved roof. It was an engineering model that was so astonishing that it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And because so many people came to this temple, and because so much money flowed into the temple, there was a bank there. National Bank of Ephesus, maybe, I don't know what they called it. Uh, bank of Artemis, Bank of Diana, I, I have no idea what they called it, but there was a bank there. And the bank was the most secure bank in the ancient world because nobody wanted to mess with a bank connected to Artemis. That would be very bad news if you messed with that bank. So it was the most secure bank in the ancient world. This is a vibrant, booming metropolis. So when Paul arrives, Paul arrives probably with his tent-making gear, and he begins to ply his trade in the city of Ephesus. And then on the weekends, he would go to the local synagogue. He was received as a Jewish rabbi, and things really began to take off until they didn't. Because there were people in the synagogue who were vehemently opposed to the things that he was saying. So he rented a local school at noontime. When everybody takes their naps, their siesta, Ephesus is very hot at noon, uh, they would go home, have their big meal, he would rent the, the school, and he would begin to equip church planters in that school. Amen. And things began to go really well in Ephesus. Don't you love it when things go well? I, I mean, I, we all do. We all love it when life is going great, and we're prosperous, and we're successful, and we have friends, and things are growing and exciting. We all love that. But sometimes that doesn't last. And so uh, it didn't last with Paul because the obstacles begin to come. And here's where things get crazy. Paul hears some painful news about the church in Corinth. He had just planted the church in Corinth, and he hears things are not going well. And he's grieved over the fact that things are not going well. And so he writes the book of 1 Corinthians. Things are still not going well. Incredibly, even though Paul is super busy, Paul makes a quick trip to Corinth. Now, this is kind of incredible because Corinth was no easy journey. Ephesus to Corinth crosses the Aegean Sea. It's 250 miles away. Like, quick trip. It's not quick. And he's sailing an ancient sailing vessel. There's no bathrooms on the sailing vessel. There's no amenities on that sailing vessel. Makes a quick trip. That trip does not go well, and he comes back and he writes a very harsh and painful letter. And the moment he slipped that letter 
in the mailbox, he regretted it. Like, oh, what have I done? Have you ever written a letter like that? You write a dash off a hard letter, you put it in the mailbox and think, oh my goodness, what did I do? Have you ever done that with an email or a text? You push send, you think, oh, what did I do? Why did I do that? I'm not sure Paul felt, felt exactly those feelings, but it was a harsh letter and he was in pain. So he says, back in, back in Ephesus, he says, uh, Titus, my coworker, my friend, I'm going to send you back to Corinth to smooth things over. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to meet you in the city of Troas in the spring of 56 AD. So they synchronize their watches. They get their calendars all synced up in Outlook. We're going to meet in Troas in the spring of 56 AD. And so Paul begins to make plans to leave Ephesus. While he's making plans, all Hades breaks loose in Ephesus, if you know what I mean. It gets really chaotic. Because the quarterly earnings reports of the idol makers comes out, and the idol business is in serious recession. Why? Because so many people have come to Christ, the demand for the silver statues of Artemis are drying up. People are coming to Ephesus, and they're coming to Christ, and when the silver makers say, hey, do you want some of our statues? We, no, 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 no we, we've come to Christ. We don't want the statues. And so the market for the statues is beginning to dry up, and people don't want the idols, they want Jesus. And the leader of the idol guild, Demetrius, the silversmith, is furious. He gathers his colleagues into the marketplace, and they begin to talk about how terrible this is. And the ancient equivalent of a flash mob forms. You can imagine, you know, that if it was today, people would be whipping out their iPhones and taking movies, you know, and, and sending tweets out, and a flash mob forms in the marketplace. People are gathering together. They don't know exactly what's going on. They know that something is happening about the reputation of Ephesus. And so the flash mob begins to go to the theater. The theater seats 25,000 people. That's why we know that the population of Ephesus is about 250,000. Ancient theaters usually were built for 10% of the city's population. The theater is beginning to fill up. Tens of thousands of people are there, and they begin shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they don't shout it two times or three times. They shout it for two hours. Two hours is an NFL football game. Two hours is a professional tennis match. Two hours is a baseball game. It's two hours is a long movie. And they're shouting at the top of the lungs, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. And Paul realizes, I've got a total disaster on my hands. A total and complete disaster. He goes from triumph to tragedy, from opportunity to opposition, from miracles to sheer madness. And now it gets worse because Paul says, okay, I, I got to go to Troas. I said, told Titus I'd meet him there. So Paul goes from Ephesus up to Troas. He either sails or he walks. I don't know which. He goes up to Troas. Troas is just south of the ancient city of Troy. And Paul hopes to arrive there and see Titus there. But Titus is not there. Paul waits. Titus still does not come. Now, Paul is not wasting his time sipping coffee and reading the Troas Times and the local Starbucks. Paul does what he does really well. 
And what he does is he begins to plant churches. And now there is this major open door in Troas. But Paul is becoming more and more anxiety-ridden and anxious about his friends. And he fears that everything is, is falling apart. And you get a, a window into his mood in this verse. 2 Corinthians 2.12, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened to me in the Lord, notice what he says, my spirit was not at rest. Now just think about when your spirit has not been at rest, when there's been angst in your spirit, anxiety in your spirit, it's not been at rest, you've been churning, you've been waking up in the middle of the night, you've been sleepless, you've been depressed. My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. So he's not going to continue to wait for Titus. He's going to go ahead and go to Macedonia. So now he sails from Troas to the city of Neapolis, which was the port city for Philippi, and he begins to go to, go to Philippi. Now notice what it says once he once he arrives in Macedonia. For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies still had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God comforts the downcast. And so let's think about his mood. His time in Ephesus ends in political conflict. His church is persecuted. That caused pain. He encountered, he was concerned that his friends are at Corinth are angry at him. That causes him some pain. Titus has been delayed for many days. Paul is concerned about this. This brings anxiety. Then he says that his body had no rest. He's physically exhausted. And additionally, he says, I'm downcast. I'm downcast. He's talking about anxiety. He's talking about depression. That's why I appreciated John's testimony. Paul is going through a season of anxiety and depression. And if I have my timing right, this lasted for about two months. Now, I'm going to ask you, if, have you ever been in a season of your life that lasted about two months or longer where there's been intense anxiety accompanied by depression? A lot of us have. I've been through times like that. Thank you, John, for sharing that you've been through times like that. A lot of us have gone through times like that. Paul went through a time like that. And there was a whole set of complex things that all happened at once. It was a perfect storm of circumstances that brought him into a season of difficulty. And at this point, Paul's got a choice. His choice is to give in to the obstacles of gratitude, the circumstances, or to choose a gutsy gratitude. So what does he do? Paul chooses a gutsy gratitude. So now we go back. When I came to Troas, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. And then without the circumstances changing, notice what he says. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That's amazing. This guy's got all these bad things happening to him. And even in the midst of those bad things, without those bad things turning around, Paul chooses a gutsy 
courageous form of gratitude. Notice the word triumphal procession. That pictured an ancient Roman triumphal procession. And here's how this would work. Let's say you're a Roman general in the ancient world and you scored a great, great victory. You petitioned the Senate for a triumphal parade. It cost a lot of money to do that, so the Senate had to approve the funds. If it was a really big victory, they actually built for you an arch, a triumphal arch that the parade would go through somewhere along the parade route. This is the Arch of Titus, the Roman emperor who, uh, who ended up destroying Jerusalem in 70 AD. And so as the parade commenced, uh, soldiers were first in line. They were dressed in their finest uniforms. Then they had their, all their shiny, polished weapons with them. And then the enemies that you had defeated were there. Many of them were still wounded. They were in pain. Some of the wild animals that were there in the locale where you did the victory, they would be there. And finally, you would be there, and you would be walking on that parade route. This was your place of glory. And Paul is saying, even though everything has crashed down around me, even though I am in, in anxiety, even though I am in emotional pain, I'm going to choose a gutsy gratitude, and I'm going to envision myself as walking in the triumphal procession of Jesus, and I'm going to give thanks, even though things are still not good. And, and just, I drill down just a little bit more. It's a gutsy gratitude, because... He's not feeling thankful. He is expressing something that he doesn't feel. Amen. Why? Because God is big. God is good. God's going to make a way. It's also a generous gratitude. He's seeing Jesus as the ultimate conquering hero. And he says, I walk in his victory procession. It's also a gracious gratitude. I'm using gracious in the sense of power. God is, is empowering Paul. Even though he's not maybe feeling the power in the moment, the way Paul expresses his gratitude assumes that God is going to come through with the power. Amen. So how does the story end? Well, Paul sails 127 miles from Troas to Neapolis. He disembarks at Neapolis, and he begins to walk the eight miles to the city of Philippi. Now, I've, I have been on that little trek from Neapolis to Philippi. And it's a winding trek. And I can imagine Paul walking along. He's weighed down. He's still thank you, God. He's weighed down. And off in the distance, he sees the familiar gait of his good friend, Titus. So he hikes up his robes. He runs toward Titus, gives him a big bear hug, says, Titus, how are you? Paul, I'm doing good. How are the Corinthians? Paul, they still love you. They're still grateful for who you are. Paul, it's good. It's going good. And now Paul relaxes and says, God, thank you. Thank you. So what do we make of this story? Well, confronting obstacles to gratitude, it comes down to this. When hard times come, we confront the obstacles of gratitude by faith. I'll tell you what those obstacles are in a second, but here's... here's this a little bit more clear. Hard times are going to come, and they're going to come in many varieties. When they do come, we've got a choice. Do we give in to the obstacles of gratitude or choose a gutsy gratitude? And I would say choosing that gutsy gratitude takes 
some courage because you're expressing things to God that you may not feel in the moment. Um, <clears throat> so even though hard times are still here, even though I'm still in pain, God is good, God is big, God is here, God's going to make a way. Amen. Love the song that, that uh, Jared picked this morning about, about God making a way. Now, let's look at what these obstacles are. Here are the five common obstacles to gratitude that we face in our culture. Here's the first obstacle. First obstacle is anger that leads to cynicism. All of us know what it's like to flare up in anger, don't we? Something happens, a blocked goal takes place, and we immediately get angry. And when we're angry, we will harm to a person or a thing. So, the dog bites, and we will harm to the dog. We slap the dog, or we kick the dog. Our car doesn't start. We will harm to the poor and inanimate car. We smash the dashboard. I'm so mad at this car. Anger flares up. So, um, what happens when anger, when anger flares up? over the circumstances in life that we can't control, we sometimes direct it toward God. And we'll say things to God like, why does this always happen to me? Why are you against me? Why are things never going my way? If you really loved me, none of these things would be taking place. What's, what's wrong with you? And if we get locked into that loop, we become cynical toward God and end up in a place of contempt. I'm angry at him. Nothing turns out the way I anticipate. And so one of the things, one of the reasons why we don't express gratitude is because we get locked into this anger toward God because life's not turning out our way. Could Paul have done that? Could Paul have said, God, I'm so mad at you, so, so mad at you. Nothing turns out. Here I am doing all these things for you, and literally nothing turns out to be easy for me. Sure. We, we, we all can do that. It's easy. That's the first obstacle, anger that leads to cynicism. The second obstacle is wrong expectations. Wrong expectations. Pop Christian culture builds all sorts of expectations that are not biblical. And the expectations go something like this. I believe God always wants me to be happy. I believe God always wants me to be rich. I believe God answers prayers against anxiety immediately without me doing anything. I believe God will never give me more than I can handle. Ooh, pa pause on that one for a moment. Because I hear a lot of people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Hell, a lot of people say that. And then God gives them more than they can handle. And that, that breaks them because they believed in something that was false. I believe, here's another wrong belief, if I do things right, God will bless me. God, look at all the things I've been doing for you, and you aren't blessing me. If I just will do more, God will, God will bless me more. I believe that if I sin less, God will love me more. Okay, so these are a lot of unbiblical expectations 
And if we live according to those expectations, it's easy for us to eliminate gratitude in my life. If I'm going to recover gratitude, I've got to, I've got to understand these unbiblical expectations that I have, confront those so that I can move into a place of gratitude. Here's the third obstacle, and that is entitlement. Entitlement is closely related to expectations, but it's a little bit more narcissistic. When you have improper expectations, you say, I believe God always does this or that. Entitlement, though, says, I deserve for God to do this or that based upon how I've performed. So some people will say to themselves, you know, I, I've been blessed, but I really kind of deserve the blessings. I mean, let's face it. I've been doing some pretty cool things. And so I'm, I'm really, I see why God would, would bless me. Because look at all the great things I've been, I mean, look at my faithfulness. Of course, God would be, would be blessing me. So what happens if you enter a season where the blessings seem few and far between to you, to you? You say, God, uh, look at all I've been doing here. I think I, think I, should, be getting, I should be getting more. Amen. On the other hand, sometimes people have been terribly hurt in life. And people who have been hurt sometimes will have expectations. Like, I've been hurt, therefore you owe me something because I've been hurt. Yeah. Expectations. And when you are laden with expectations, it's very hard for you to have gratitude. Here's another obstacle, the obstacle of comparison, where I am comparing myself to somebody else. You can compare yourself two ways. You can compare up or down. If you compare yourself to somebody below you, you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit better than they are. I got better gifts. I'm better looking. I, I've got better athletic skills. I feel pretty good about the fact that I'm better than they are. If you, most of us don't do that. Most of us compare ourselves to people who are better. And we say, oh, I'm not as good as he is. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not as gifted or talented as she is. I'm not as handsome or good looking as he or she is. And so then we feel bad. We feel shame because I'm, I'm not at that level. And we don't get grateful for what we do have. We realize why we're not grateful for what we don't have that somebody else has. That's comparison. And then a fifth obstacle is, is the lack of mindfulness. And this is a really important one because lack of mindfulness is not recognizing the good things that God has, God has given to you. Let's say that you have truly been the recipient of many good things. Um, do you maintain a mindfulness about those such that you express gratitude? Let's say you're, you're in reasonably good health. You're able to taste and hear and touch and smell and enjoy many good things. Do you pause to say, God, I thank you for what I have? Because it's really easy to not do that. Have you ever savored a cup of coffee and said, oh, God, this is so good. I'm, I'm taking this as a gift from you. Or do you say, you know, the roast is not quite right. Uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of burned or, boy, they didn't do this right. I'm going to take it back and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a better one. It's really easy to, to not be mindful of the good but to be frustrated over the bad. Have you ever been grateful that you can enjoy physical exercise and you're not encumbered by a wheelchair or a walker or an oxygen tank? Or if you are encumbered by those things, have you ever been grateful that even with those things, God has shown grace to you. I've got a friend who is a paraplegic, and he wrote the other, a couple months ago on his Facebook page, 
that when he was in the auto accident that severed his spinal cord, he said that was one of the most blessed events of his life. And I've heard him say this before, so I knew what he was saying. He said, I was, I was, I was, on, I was on a different track, and the track God brought me onto was a track of power even in the midst of my weakness. And he, he lives that out, and he's deeply loved by the people who know him. Have you ever looked at your kids and expressed gratitude? Even though they're not perfect, you know? Very easy to look at your kids and think they're, they're, they're not in an obedient season. They don't believe things that I believe. I'm frustrated, as opposed to being mindful of the gift that they are to you. Mindfulness. Have you ever been, had circumstances at work that unexpectedly worked out for your benefit? And you ever say, ever say, God, this easily could not have happened, but it did happen. And I thank you, Lord, for the gift. All I'm saying is this. Mindfulness is a decision of the will. Will I be mindful of the blessings that God has put in, in my, my life? Now, I'll tell you that we live in one of the very best times, best times, to be alive. We have the blessings of health care. We have mountains of books that can solve nearly any problem. If I have a problem with my car, I can go to YouTube and get the answer very quickly. This is an amazing time to be alive. Do you ever just pause and say, okay, I know the world is chaotic. I know our country is mired in a bunch of controversy, but I am reaping the benefits of being a member of the human race in the year 2019. There's a lot of things that we can, we can feel the blessing for. So here's Paul's story. Paul, you know, Paul could have succumbed to anger, expectations, entitlement, comparison, lack of mindfulness, but instead he chose a gutsy gratitude. Let me just briefly tell you something that happened to me when I was in high school. I came to Christ um, as a young teenager. I was discipled by a wonderful collection of believers in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then my parents sent me off to a school for a year before going to college. They wanted me to get into a good college, so they sent me to this prep school in New Jersey, just south of Princeton. Well, I was the only believer at that school, and I had a choice to make. Am I going to follow Christ and be grateful for what He's given me as a young believer, or am I going to succumb to the ethos of the school, which was profoundly anti-relationship with Christ. It was Christian nominally. And I remember very clearly walking across the quad in this school, looking up at the stars on a very cold fall evening. And I remember what one of my, my mentors had said to me, Rod, the foundational principle for spiritual growth is gratitude. Okay, okay. So I'm walking across the quad, I'm looking up at the stars, and this crazy thought crossed my 16-year-old mind. It had to have been God. And the crazy thought was this. If God never blessed me ever for the rest of my life, I would still have the blessings of Him. Now, I have no idea where that came from. I was 16 years old. And that was much too profound a thought for my 16-year-old brain. But I seized on that idea and that idea produced gratitude over the next nine months 
that I was at that school. God sometimes will crash into your life with one thought of gratitude. When that happens, seize on that. Because that, that may be the lifeline that you need to get through the next season. Amen. So let's look at some, let's look at some, uh, some takeaways, some overcoming some obstacles to gratitude. Number one, recognize the most prevalent obstacle in your life. Okay, so I've, we've, we've looked at, you know, here's, a, here's what we've looked at. Uh, five items on the checklist. Anger, expectations, entitlement, comparison, lack of mindfulness. All right, what's, your, what's, what's the worst one for you? Just look at those, the list of those five. What is the one that you struggle with most? And say, okay, uh, this is the one that I need to work on. Second takeaway, develop a new level of mindfulness about what the good is. Um, this is really important. Here's a second checklist. Here are some categories of blessing that are common to all of us. You can notice blessings in the weather. You can notice the smell after rain. You can notice the beauty of a sunrise or sunset. You can notice the warm feelings you experience in front of the fire on a snowy day. These are all blessings related to the weather. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. This is an easy way to learn to become mindful. What am I encountering in the weather? How can I use what I am encountering to reflect the goodness of God? If the heavens declare the glory of God and I'm out here in the weather, is there something in the weather that spurs me on to gratitude? I walked in this morning and friend said, friend said I commented about the rain. A friend said, you know, we needed it. That was just a small micro expression of gratitude. You can notice blessings in relationships. Maybe you had a conversation with a friend that went well. Uh, notice that as a gift from God. Maybe you see your child sleeping in bed, your young child sleeping in bed, and these warm feelings of gratitude come up. Express that to God. Maybe you have a great conversation with one of your um, adult children. Express that as a, as a blessing from God. You can look at um, artistic beauty, musical beauty. You know, you see something that's beautiful and a piece of art or listen to a piece of music that's beautiful. Express thanks to God about that. You can notice blessings in completely common things. A random feeling crosses your mind. Express gratitude to God about that. You notice feelings um, of gratitude with really big, immense things as well. Whatever you're encountering, be mindful of what's there before you for which you can be grateful. And then here's the third thing. Get good at expressing gratitude in the moment, both to God and to people. Yes, it's really easy to, to think, you know, I should, be more, I should be more grateful. I should be more thankful. Well, wait, in that moment, express that gratitude. If something is happening in the moment where a person that you're talking to blesses you, express gratitude to that person in the moment. Let's say that you're buying something at a department store and you have somebody who is unusually helpful and attentive to your needs. Thank them for what they've, they've done for you. Somebody makes an unusually good cup of coffee that's very complicated. You know, triple shot latte with this syrup and that syrup and extra hot and all that stuff. And it's particularly good. Thank them for what they did. Express that to them in the moment. 
Here's another one. Do an act of gratitude service without expecting anything. You know, one of the ways you break the stronghold of entitlement is you stop being so demanding in your expectations. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by serving people without expectations for anything in return. It's really easy to serve somebody and, and go, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for this lavish gratitude for me being so awesome. Don't do that. Express gratitude, uh, serve without any, any expectation. One of the ways you do this is by serving your enemies. You know, all of us have, <laughs> all of us have enemies. People that we can say are enemies. Um, there may be people who not want to harm us, but people who rub us the wrong way. And if you serve them, that breaks your stronghold of entitlement. So, <clears throat> recently, uh, this Olympic athlete retired. She won the gold medal. She was an amazing hurdler. Her name was Sally Pearson. Um, and she won gold in the 2012 Olympics. She retired. At the top. You don't get to retire from overcoming obstacles. You don't get to retire from jumping over hurdles of gratitude. This is one of those things God calls you to do for the rest of your life. But here's what happens. The more you defeat the enemies of gratitude, the more you jump over the obstacles of gratitude, those obstacles get lower and lower and lower and lower. So that pretty soon, you're not dealing with a comparison anymore. You're not dealing with entitlement as much anymore. They'll still happen because you're still human. But they get lower and they're easier to jump over. That's my hope for all of us is that we get really good at the athleticism, the spiritual athleticism of overcoming the obstacles of gratitude so that gratitude flows from us as a natural part of our life.